to try and restore the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union collapsed, and those who try and restore any empire will fall down as well. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis on this Tuesday. China says the CE election framework could be here for a long time to come. The mainland economy grinds lower, but stocks rise to a one-week high. And China allows local governments to issue bonds. All that ahead, as well as money and politics. Some have expressed concern that if the 2017 package is rejected, the same restrictions will apply to the 2022 election and beyond. Mr. Lee said while the standing committee's decision could still apply, changes are possible depending on the actual situation in Hong Kong. That's RTHK's Cecil Wong on comments from China's Li Fei. We would have achieved uh, something that couldn't be achieved in 160 years of British rule of Hong Kong. The 17 years would be equivalent to about 200 years in many Western countries. Mr. Lee urged those who opposed the constitutional reform framework to think again. So we'll have more on that in a few minutes. Uh, Mr. Lee saying, you don't know how good you have it. And we'll also have more on the slowing mainland economy and what investors should be focused on. Investors should not be focused on the 7.5 or 7% GDP growth. The real issue for China is a rebalancing process which is happening right now. And the kind of hiccups that we see from one quarter to the other, from one statistic to the other, that's not what we should be focused on. And you'll have to wait to hear what he says we should be focused on. That's analyst Jean Medicine, and we'll have a short bit from him in just a few minutes. In markets, the U.S. was closed, but European stocks and bonds moved higher. All eyes now on the ECB. The time is coming definitely for the ECB to do still more, and that's going to uh, annoy some of the more hawkish elements, including the Germans. So it's a battle there, Germany versus perhaps what the ECB has in mind. That was David Nowakowski from Nouriel Rabini Economics. And again, a few more comments from him when we look at markets. In our featured segments, we will take a look at the Jala smartphone that was created by former Nokia executives. Jala chairman Antti Sarnia will be with us in our studios. Alex Wong from Ample Capital will be along for a look at markets. We'll be particularly asking him about the Hong Kong-Shanghai Connect and later We'll be speaking with Adam German of Housing Japan about some opportunities in Tokyo real estate. Here's how Tokyo stocks are doing. Up 41 points for the Nikkei, 15,517. In Australia, the ASX 200 is down four points at 56.25. In Seoul, the Kospi is off a couple of points. Not much of a change there, about a tenth of a percent at 20.65. The uh, fixing on the renminbi, 6.168, but the the yuan is trading right around uh, 6.14 or 15. The Australian dollar, 93.3 U.S. cents. The dollar up against the yen, 104.35. That's flat for the uh, dollar-yen trade. And the euro is now 1.3131. Again, a little weaker euro, a little stronger dollar. Well, China's Li Fei says the framework for political reform here does not apply only to 2017. That package that was agreed by the NPC could extend to subsequent polls as well. Mr. Li didn't completely close the door, as we hear from Cecil Wong. 
Han Democratic lawmakers have said they will veto whatever package they're presented with if it contains requirements set out by the NPC Standing Committee for all CE candidates to be endorsed by over half the nominating committee, which will remain virtually unchanged from the existing election committee. Some have expressed concern that if the 2017 package is rejected, the same restrictions will apply to the 2022 election and beyond. Mr. Lee said while the Standing Committee's decision could still apply, changes are possible depending on the actual situation in Hong Kong as long as the alterations are consistent with a gradual and orderly progress towards full democracy. He spoke through an interpreter. We know changes are rapid in society. Some years later, what changes would there be in the Hong Kong society? Well, that then uh, we will have to decide on the selection methods of the chief executive based on the prevailing actual situation. Mr. Lee also suggested that an additional preliminary screening process be set up for the 2017 poll. He said even before the CE hopefuls have to pass the 50% nomination threshold to become formal candidates, they should first be recommended by a number of nominating committee members. Even the People's Daily had a commentary out saying Hong Kong's method for electing a chief executive is in line with modern democratic election systems around the world. In Shanghai, China stocks were higher, lifting the main index to a one-week high. Investors are betting that the government might speed up stimulus. Yesterday's manufacturing gauges were a little weaker than expected. Bijan Medicine of Carmignac Gestion says that investors shouldn't look too closely only at growth. The real issue for China is a rebalancing process which is happening right now. And the kind of hiccups that we see from one quarter to the other, from one statistic to the other, that's not what we should be focused on. The key issue for us is whether or not China is actually tackling some of the imbalances. Mm -hmm. And I guess the weakening of the growth of credit in China is actually quite a positive element with regards to this global rebalancing issue that we are witnessing. In Europe, government bonds rose, so did stocks, but only just. In uh, Germany, the DAX was up eight points. In Paris, the CAC was down one. And in London, the FTSE 100 up five points at 68.25. A report showing uh, growth, uh, a report showed that uh, growth was slowing in factory output in uh, Europe, and that lifted the case for more central bank stimulus. We hear more now from David Kowalski. For most of the year, they've been telling us that inflation for, uh, that's too low for too long is unacceptable. But they haven't really defined what that means. So they can uh, clarify uh, that any further deterioration would be unacceptable and call for QE. Um, Mario Draghi explained in an April speech that QE is the right solution, at least for some forms of low inflation. The day that he was referring to is the ECB, and he was asked what we might expect at this week's meeting of the European Central Bank. The ECB is a political institution, and they need to have people on board uh, across the board. It hired BlackRock to help uh, formulate the ABS program, so some regulatory changes seem to be the obstacles or the hurdles to getting that going. Maybe they'll uh, unveil some of that or tell us how big and how fast, what assets uh, they will look to purchase. And the time is now 10 minutes after 8 o'clock. Our first guest to the program, we welcome now Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital. Alex, good morning. Good morning. What are you most focused on this morning? Uh, I think today probably we would have another quiet market, uh, but uh, 
probably uh, we would still uh, have some selling pressure in the exchange. I think the recent uh, development is that we are seeing some soft softness in the Asian market whilst the Asian market uh, is rising. So probably that is uh, something uh, which is coming from the Hong Kong China Connect. Yes, yeah, so we're seeing sort of a little bit of an equalizing of uh, values there? Oh, yes, that's true. Uh, we are seeing there's some um, convergence of uh, valuation uh, between the two markets. So that that means uh, Hong Kong probably would have some selling pressure in those six shares. And uh, we probably may see some pickup in the Asian market. The PMIs that were out yesterday, the manufacturing gauges, uh, were a little weak. I mean, they weren't terrible. They were still in expansion mode, not under 50. Uh, the final reading for HSBC's manufacturing gauge, 50.2. So getting a little bit close. And uh, those those numbers were down from 51.7 in July. Do you um, agree with the guest I had uh, earlier saying, don't worry too much about growth. Look at the rebalancing. Look at the consumer spend. Oh yes, I I think so. Yes, uh, in the meantime, I think uh, probably we may still um, be supported by this kind of weak data because people will probably would expect some stimulus coming out. Uh, but uh, I think uh, in the longer run, we need to see some pickup in the consumer spending in China. Right now, the figures actually um, were disappointing, but hopefully uh, we will see some um, pickup later on. What types of stimulus might we expect? Um, I think in the meantime, probably um, a cut in our out in certain areas, but not uh, as a whole. So let's explain that uh, triple R is the reserve ratio requirements of the banks. And it means what? That they don't have to keep as much cash inside and they can push it out? Oh, yes. All right. That's true. Uh, I think uh, probably they would like to stimulate, stimulate um, uh, some areas like uh, SME loans or, or, or those uh, rural regions. Now, it says here that a gauge of tech companies rallied the most among 10 industry groups uh, in Shanghai. Uh, do you like technology companies? Uh, yes, but in Hong Kong, the choices actually are, are getting fewer and fewer. Right now, the focus is only on Tencent in Hong Kong. Other actually, um, the smaller caps actually are not um, getting uh, attention of uh, investors. Yeah, think- why is that? They don't seem to be doing very well. Since the sell-off back in March, they took all the techs down, a lot of the big ones have rebounded in the West and Tencent rebounded here, but mm. the little guys didn't. Yeah, I think uh, that, that that is a polarization of business. I think uh, people and polarization of funds as well. Uh, I think people look at the fundamentals and and, and technology actually is a winner take all uh, game. So uh, people like to avoid risk and, and focus more on the uh, bigger one, uh, on the largest one actually. So again, back to the question, um, you know, when you look at the Hong Kong Shanghai Connect and you start trying to figure out what shares to buy there, in other words, foreign fund managers, you know, what will they be buying in Shanghai and Shenzhen um, versus what mainland investors will buy here? And pardon me for putting Shenzhen mm-hmm. in there. Um, which, which do you like the most? Uh, which which uh, eight shares here or which China stocks will get the attention of mainland buyers? I think, uh, first of all, uh, we probably may see um, buying into those uh Quality excess, which is trading at a discount to the Asia counterparts, are likely like uh, China oilfield resources, uh, oil, oil, China oilfield services, and uh, BYD. Uh, these kinds of uh, uh, quality excess actually are trading at discount to the Asia market. And also, we might see some interest in household names like Mongnil or Tencent in uh, uh, from Asia investor as well. But for us, I think uh, we would focus more on those uh, financial like insurance stocks. It's a bit nerve-wracking with companies like Tencent and BYD, uh, given that they have PEs up over 
50 or 60. Uh, but do you think that uh, investors won't be put off by those high valuations? No, I don't think so. I think uh, uh, BYD's uh, valuation is, uh, is, is uh, supported by the prospect in the uh, electric car, not in its uh, traditional car business. So that's why I think uh, people would still pay a premium to it. And how about some of the other uh, automakers? Uh, anything interest you there, like Brilliance or Dongfeng? Uh, Brilliance and Dongfeng would be okay, but I think uh, valuation probably would not be as as as, as high as BYD. But I think uh, probably they would still be okay. I've, recently, people are a bit um, concerned about the uh, increasing competition from foreign brands. I think, uh, but still, that, that that should be they they should still be performing okay. I think. Any of the political ramifications uh, concern you? We've seen, you know, people gearing up here for Occupy Central. That's something that's looming. Uh, there's also a massive corruption drive in China. The these types of things do impact on investors, but so far the impact hasn't been very strong. Yes, I think uh, if you look at it the other way, actually the market is a little bit uh, suppressed by that. So um, I think later on probably we see some uh, uh, upside because of this, because some people are holding back. And if uh, we are seeing continual strength in the overseas market, I think Hong Kong probably will be picked up because these kind of competitive concerns are already discounted by the market. So don't worry about the downside. You actually think that uh, we could see upside after people set this aside? Oh, yes, I think so. I think uh, the downside may not be too much. Uh, if we see something um, uh, unexpected coming out, I think we probably may see 500 to 1,000 point downside in the Hang Seng Index, but that, that's all. 500 to 1,000 points to the downside. So we hit 25,000. You expect this to be 23 and change, and then people yep. should buy? Yeah, I think uh, that is the maximum downside risk in the meantime. Probably we are talking about uh, a support area between 23,600 to 24,000 area, which I think uh, probably would contain the downside risk. And uh, on the upside, once uh, we we see a a renewed break of uh, that 25,200, I think uh, probably we may see uh, some more. Okay, Alex, thanks very much for your input this morning. Always a pleasure to have you here on the program. Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital. Next guest coming up shortly, but first let's just get a little bit of a look at currencies again. We mentioned that uh, with QE possibly coming in Europe, some people are picking the euro to, uh, to actually fade a little bit to weaken the latest uh, rate now, 1.3131 against the U.S. dollar. Let's go back to David Kowalowski. He was talking a little bit about what might happen with the euro. So the euro is not in a vacuum, right? We're talking about dollar-euro, and that means it depends on the dollar and what the Fed's policy as well. So the current equilibrium probably isn't too far away from what it is right now, given what the ECB is doing, which is not enough. Once the Fed starts hiking, the euro will fall towards 120. So he thinks it'll fall towards 120. He thinks that the ECB is likely to be dovish. They're still uh, very dovish. They want to do more, and they're trying to figure out ways to, to do more. But really, the, the proof in the pudding will be uh, doing QE and continuing to weaken the euro reversing the fall in inflation expectations. 
So he thinks that the euro may go down to about $1.20. I heard, I didn't do the math on this, but I heard that the average price of the euro during its uh, existence is around 121 So even with all the trouble in Europe, uh, the euro is still stronger than what it has averaged uh, since it came out. Well, the time is now about 18 minutes after 8 o'clock, and we wanted to move to our next segment. In 2011, a group of former employees of defunct Nokia got together to build a smartphone. The result is Jala, a smartphone maker that embraces the minimalism of Scandinavian design. The result is a sleek-looking smartphone that can be operated with one hand. Jala last month unveiled a 4G smartphone in promotional tie-up with three, the mobile network of Hutchison Telecommunications. And so we're joined now uh, in our studios by... If I can get your pronunciation right, Antti Sarnio. Antti, sorry about that. Uh, the chairman of Jala. It's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Good, on good the, morning. On the program. Good yeah. morning. It was correct pronunciation. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I was a little, <laughs> little uh, slow off the mark there, but uh, that's not too surprising. Um, anyway, Apple, Samsung, other handset brands already very well established out here in Asia. What makes you think you can compete against them? Well, I, I don't think we are competing against them. I, I think we are just offering very different uh, alternative to customers. I, I think we are offering something which is not just a smartphone. It's a statement. It's a personal statement for their users that I'm unique, I'm unlike, and I think that's exactly missing from the market at the moment. So is, are you looking for a niche market here in Asia? Well, a Yolla phone is, is it's a spearhead phone for Yolla company. So with, the, with this phone, we, we want to get uh, reach our fans, but we also want to show to the world that how good the selfish operating system is. And then we can later on attract uh, other industrial partners. Let's look at the rollout in Asia. As I understand it, the Yolla phone has been pretty well received in Europe. Um, what are your plans for the rollout here in Asia? Well, um, just uh, as you, you know, a few weeks ago we started here in Hong Kong with operator Hutchinson. Uh, and then uh, in a couple of weeks uh, we will start in India with a local e-commerce uh, player called Snapdeal. And we, of course, have uh, other plans uh, to expand in, in, in China and elsewhere in Asia as well. The handset itself, is it available only on your website or can they pick it up in shops? Uh, in in Hong Kong, you can uh, order it from the online. It, you can see it from the operator tree shops. It's it's shown there, but you can order it locally here online. And tell us a little bit about this open source platform, the software platform that is something uh, like Android. It's an operating system that you came up with. What makes it special? Uh, well, what is special is the, the standpoint what we are taking there. Of course, it has its unique features and unique user experience, and it's a very fast operating system to use. But it's also a value statement that we are saying that you should not sell consumers' data, you should protect consumers' data, you should select a business model which is valuing the consumer privacy, uh, and that's a big statement what we are making with our operating system. And what sort of pricing strategy are you employing? Uh, well, with the Yola phone, we are, I guess we are in a middle price se segment. In the future, becoming partner phones, it's hard to say. The partners will be selecting their own pri uh, pricing points. Probably Selfies OS is not going to be the cheapest phones. It's quite a unique and feature-rich operating system. 
Um, by the way, I forgot to say that uh, one capability what we have is that we are able to run Android applications. So, so that's that's quite uh, uh, different compared to Windows or some other. So you'll be able to download. I mean, apps are being made for this Sailfish uh, uh, operating system. Yeah, it basically works so that you, as a user, you download any app store you you like yourself, Android app store, and you start using right away. You mm-hmm. don't have to do any special tricks. So, so how did you come up with this name, Sailfish? Uh, uh, well, it was a process, <laughs> but uh, first of all, sailfish is—it's the fastest sea, uh, fastest fish in the sea. Uh, it's a beautiful fish if you have a, <laughs> ever seen one. And then we just like the theme with the with the sea environment because uh, Yola itself is a boat as well. So, so kind of uh, coming from that background. Obviously, it would be instructive to look at the Nokia experience. Um, so first, um, when you look back on what happened with Nokia and uh, its sort of demise in the industry, um, not total death, but demise, um, what happened? I think uh, Nokia stopped innovation. I, I think they are they were in an industry that only those who innovate uh, fast enough uh, are competitive in long term. And they just stopped innovating and they stopped I- implementing the most innovative solutions. They became a mature company. And I think we can see it same happening at the moment in the industry with the biggest players at the moment as well. Did they stop innovating or did they stop trying to innovate? Because there's a difference. They may have continued to try, but they simply didn't pull it off. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I think there was plenty of innovation, but the, I, probably the problem was on the management level, that ability to take the best innovations to the market and to have the courage for that probably was not there. So, so what is the main lesson as you face this venture that you take away from that? Uh, I, I think key, that's a tough question but I, I I still think that with right decisions Nokia would be there it, it had all the chances to, to succeed in a long term uh, I think the big companies just have to be able to renew themselves and renew the management culture as well and if you can't do it you you can't succeed in long so term. does that mean that this September 9th launch by Apple of new products uh, it's quite key for them that if they don't show real innovation um, you know it could be a turning point yeah I think if for example if you're investor to stocks you, you and I would be looking at technology companies from the innovation perspective I, I think Apple also Samsung uh, should be followed at the moment there's not much innovation happening at the moment yeah okay anti uh, thanks very much uh, sorry for missing your name anti Sarnio chairman of Yala real pleasure to have you on the program thanks a lot thank you so the time is now 25 minutes after eight time for one more interesting segment here on the business and finance show on radio three the only one we've got so please listen Totally unbecoming to beg, but I'm not past it. 
Anyway, Tokyo Real Estate continuing to get some interest from foreign investors. Last month, a unit of Goldman Sachs purchased a 32-story office tower in the Maranucci District. Expectations are that prices will continue to move higher thanks to Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's policies of massive monetary and fiscal stimulus. How has the Tokyo market done recently? Well, we have Adam German, Marketing and Media Director at Housing Japan, on the line. Adam, good morning. Hi there. Thanks for having me. So how has the Tokyo market been doing? Uh, On the residential side, um, compared to last year, prices are 10% higher than they were uh, the year before. So this year we're seeing a 10% increase. Uh, Commercial real estate, it's really started in 2012, um, and it's kind of culminated in that purchase that you just mentioned, yeah. So did the market kind of slow down when the Nikkei stopped going up and the yen stopped going down? And do you think that that changes anytime soon? The Nikkei going down um, is kind of a it's stocks and hard assets and, and soft assets. Um, that can be a lot of you can chalk that up to price correction perhaps. But um, for the real estate side, especially residential, this this year is really the year for residential. Um, the yen going down, the only tangible uh, and the yen uh, flattening out as it is right now. Really, the only tangible thing is if you were looking at something uh, that's uh, released this year, you want a brand new build. Uh, then this year's the year to buy because what's going to happen is uh, the big developers in the residential sector uh, have pulled the trigger on plans that they've been kind of sitting on since the GFC, and they've kind of sucked up all the labor. Um, and with the yen where it is right now, material costs are going to increase. So that's really the only tangible effect. Other than that, in the second-hand market, if you're looking to buy now, um, you've got a really nice uh, run of land increases that we feel are going to happen. Um, it seems like, I mean, you know, back to the end, it seems like if you if you bought now something that would be completed in one to two years, that you might have the confidence the yen would be down. Thus, it would be a little easier to make that payment. If yes, it, it depends on the currency that you're working with. Um, if you're if you're the, the yen going down is is you. If you're using a U.S. dollar, it's actually it's almost pretty on par. It's at 103 right now. Um, okay, but, I take it this is not your main point, so let's move on. Uh, who's actually buying? Are mainlanders, for instance, uh, big in the Tokyo market? Uh, mainland Chinese, you mean? Yeah. Uh, no, actually, it's Hong Kong, Singapore, and Taiwan are the main buyers at the moment. All right. And what about domestic, um, you know, domestic buyers? Uh, is it attractive for them buying in Tokyo now, um, or are they branching out across the country? Tokyo is basically where the action's at for, for Japan as, as a whole. A lot of the stuff that you read about Japan in terms of demographics uh, and uh, excess supply, that really applies to outside of Tokyo. What, what's happening in Tokyo in terms of demographics, um, and uh, there's actually is everyone else in the, country, in the countryside is actually the young people are moving to Tokyo. Foreign people are coming to Tokyo. So the population, while the Japan population is declining, the population of Tokyo is increasing. Um, so there's no excess supply in Tokyo. Yeah. Um, is it too complicated, though, for outside investors? Uh, you mentioned there are a lot of um, foreign investors coming in. Uh, is it something that, um, you know, is perplexing actually purchasing a property in Tokyo? No, actually, the, the, biggest, the biggest issue is, is the language. Um, there's not a lot of English-speaking agents here. Uh, despite Japan being the cause and, and Tokyo being the cosmopolitan city that it is, uh, there's very, very little English in the real estate uh, sector for individual investors and individual buyers. Uh, and 
the, this is kind of where we kind of stand out is because that's, that's exactly what we do. And is it a particular trend that people buy near subway lines or parks or shopping complexes? There's parks, shopping complexes, and subways almost everywhere in the city. I don't think you can be anywhere in the city without being a 10-minute walk from three different subway stations, parks, or shopping centers, I think. So that there, there's certain areas of the city that are very attractive. Um, they're called the three A's plus R, so that's Akasaka, Aoyama, uh, Azabu and Rapongi, and these these areas are all where the big name developers that you know overseas, like uh, Mori yeah. or Sumitomo, are building their landmark buildings, and that's and that's really you know being it's a driver basically for for land price increases. Okay, so Adam. Three A's plus R's is what you want to look at. Thanks yeah. very much, Adam. We're out of time. Appreciate it for you joining us here on Money for Nothing. Adam German, marketing and media director, Housing Japan, looking at possibly buying property in Tokyo. Market slightly higher than Nikkei, up 55 points. Others just around the start line. Weather today, expecting uh, to see very fine conditions and very hot with 33 as the maximum. We'll see you tomorrow on Monday for Monday. The news at 8.31 with Samantha Butler. A senior mainland figure says the highly conservative framework for Hong Kong's political reform applies beyond the 2017 chief executive election. Li Fei, the deputy secretary general of the National People's Congress Standing Committee, was speaking during a seminar in Hong Kong. But he also said changes were possible depending on the actual situation here, as long as the alterations were consistent with a gradual and orderly progress towards full democracy. He spoke through an interpreter. We know changes are rapid in society. Some years later, what changes would there be in the Hong Kong society? Well, that then uh, we will have to decide on the selection methods of the chief executive based on the prevailing actual situation. The United Nations Human Rights Council has agreed to send an emergency mission to Iraq to investigate violations.